0: Welcome to the MindTales podcast. We are a fast-growing tech mental health organization here to bring you the insights that you need to boost your emotional health and thrive in your daily life. It's our goal to make quality mental health care both accessible and inclusive. That's why part of our mission is to get discussions, conversations, and debates about mental health going. From psychiatrists to educators, entrepreneurs, and community members. We bring you the stories and experiences of health advocates from around the world. And that's what we're going to do today. If you like our episode or have any suggestions for future content, please like it, leave a comment, or connect with us on Instagram at MindTalesOfficial. It makes us so happy to hear from the MindTales community. Nasser, welcome to the Mind Tales Collective podcast. It's such a pleasure to be chatting with you today. Tell us how you're doing.
1: I'm doing amazing, wonderful, great. And (laughs) because you guys contacted me, so thanks.
0: No, of course, of course. We, for those of you meeting Nasser for the first time, Nasser is a certified hypnotherapist and life coach. And some of the many hats he's worn throughout his career also include neurolinguist, psychotherapist, laughter yogi, healer, and so much more. So Nasser, we'd love to hear more about your journey through psychiatry, your interest in psychology and mental health, and how you ventured into hypnotherapy. Tell us what drew you to these fields, and what has your journey been like so far?
1: Okay, so really, it's been a journey of opportunity. Um, growing up through the traditional um, education system, I was set to be a doctor, specifically a pediatrician, and I had a role model for it. I had a grandfather um, who had passed. Well, my grandfather's younger brother, but you know our culture. My grandfather <laughs> um, and. I remember that um, he would always walk into the house during our weekly lunches every Friday, fashionably late, which in our family is not very acceptable, but for right. him it was okay. and He'd be fashionably late um, almost every time, and he would then spend another 10 to 15 minutes at the door with all the kids because he'd have one pocket filled with candy and the other one filled with <laughs> Um, so besides being late already, he would have another excuse of the kids were at the door. You know, we were doing our thing. Um, and um, you know, the dream was to be a pediatrician. And um, I continued to pursue that dream um, until um, it was made clear to me that that's just not going to happen. So that's the short version of the story. Mm -hmm. So I moved on to psychology and psychology was an opportunistic move. I had done some education and I picked the course and place that would accredit the biggest number of papers from my university work. I chose psychology to remain within the health field and Mm -hmm. little did I know that it was a a niche for me, something that I would turn out to be good in academically um, and practically as it turns out, of course, but that's my own opinion of myself. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I get my degree and I come back um, to my country and um, I am uh, told that I'm a valuable commodity, a gem, so to speak, of mm. uh, my sex, my language abilities, my age, and my apparent skill set and ability to 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 talk to professionals and at least have them convinced that I'm hireable. Um, it took a while. It took about eight months to, to finally get the hiring process finished and another year and a half before I had my license in my hand to practice mm. as a psychotherapist. But um, the entry job was um, psychologist in a hospital, so a uh, right. behavioral sciences pavilion or a psychiatric service. Mm-hmm. Um, When I first started, I was placed in a conundrum, one that many people are familiar with, a catch-22 of sorts. So I can't work with any patients until I've got my license. And I cannot get my license until I get some experience, i.e. work with clients or or Mm -hmm. patients. So... um, When I realized that that was going to be a thing that's going to take a while to figure out because nobody I was talking to was giving me full answers or solutions, um, I decided to spend my time researching different things within the field. And one of my readings led me into hypnosis, and the claim was um get rid of a phobia in 20 minutes. And that stood in the face of everything I was taught um, about psychotherapy. So right. I was my interest was peaked. Uh, one article turned into a whole, you know, YouTube, Google, Wikipedia you know, the works kind of research, yeah. and eventually led me to a book or a course that was in the form of a book or a practitioner's manual, and um, several, actually. And then eventually that led to a trainer, a physical trainer, a vita, who was available in Dubai at the time, um, Beryl Kumar. So I took my first training in hypnosis, the practicalities, you know, the ability to to do, to, to have it done, and to see it in real life sort of experiences. Mm-hmm. I took my um my certificate that I had attained at the time I went back to my workplace and I said listen I'm certified as a hypnotherapist so send me any phobia clients you have and they were kind enough to oblige um because my license had still not um shown up let's say um and I did my first clientele that way um while this was happening, so after I took my certificate, I didn't know it was possible for me to practice in the hospital. Um, I was trained that hypnosis is not a healthcare intervention. It was part of our training because um, in, in the US, the only thing you can be sued for as a hypnotist is um, providing healthcare without a healthcare license. And oh. a hypnotist is not like a healthcare practitioner, mm. right? Um, So it was one of those cool little ethical things that you learn and you don't really realize um, how profound it could be, whether correct or incorrect. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it had sort of an effect. And the effect it had on me was I found um, another student of Beryl's, my trainer, um, who was running a business already, and and she put the two of us together. And when we met, it was chemistry. I was going in to rent out an office space to have private consultations with private non medical doctor uh, patients, uh, well, clients, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and and work on people's problems, you know, uh, as that sort of practice my hypnosis skill. Um, and what we walked out of that was a seven year partnership in a business, which is now ChangeWorks. Works. Yeah. Um, you- consulting and um, throughout through the company Catherine armstrong the first laughter yoga leader i'd ever met yeah. um, who was also a reiki practitioner and a friend of ours and she had been doing some consultation through us she just walked in one day and she's like hey i'm gonna give a laughter yoga class and naturally i was like laughter you what
0: mm-hmm. um
1: so i took the class it was a two-day training to be certified as a laughter yoga leader okay um and that uh, that um, launched me into you know my my life as a laughter yogi, let's say. Yeah. Or. What's it?
0: Very very cool. So hypnotherapy is fascinating, and I I, I love hearing you speak about it. It's very interesting to me. So it takes a different approach with the mind when it comes to navigating someone's life's challenges, or also just exploring and programming the human mind, maybe. So tell us more about your interest in hypnosis, in hypnosis and how you use these tools to support others. Okay.
1: Um, so, so you put it well when you say it takes a different perspective on um, how to intervene on, on the mind level. Um, but really, um, what I'd like to draw attention to is the fact that it puts a different perspective on what we understand problems are, their etiology, their causes, and our place in the whole interaction of getting better. Um, And once again, I'll I'll bring, I'll come back to that principle of we're not healthcare practitioners. And that's just my training because it happens to be American. You know, you get your trainings from elsewhere, you get different sets of ethics, but it is generally accepted that, you know, we're not licensed healthcare practitioners, um, which makes, um, the, the issue of dealing with, um, people's lives a bit iffy because we're consulting and there's a consensus that, um, stress, um, can produce illness, um, in the body and stress may be considered an illness and your life circumstances. And definitely we have this whole concept of mental health and mental disorder and behavioral health and behavioral disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, And by necessity of the training, by necessity of having to consider yourself not a doctor, not a prescribing official, not somebody who has something to swallow or some surgical intervention, um, and and forcing considerations on the conversation. How is it that you can speak to someone and the influence is as such, whatever used to bother them doesn't bother Mm. them anymore? Mm -hmm. And what are valid ways to measure that? Um, right. you know, that effect in, in a very vague world. So hypnosis is usually known as the art of being art, uh, artfully ba- vague or the science of being artfully vague,
0: Right.
1: Um, or NLP can be considered that way, the science of being artfully vague. And the best way to 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 sort of summarize everything that I'm trying to say is to say that we're not talking about mind control. We're talking about persuasion and influence. Mm-hmm. Um. And in the realm of persuasion and influence, um, hypnosis is a specific way to, to deal with the mind. And when I say the mind, I do mean the person right? Mm -hmm. And it draws back to the biopsychosocial model. Um, So part of us is biology, part of us is psychology, part of us is society. And it's a a three-level hierarchy, something that's less than you and part of you, something that is you and only you, and then something that's more than you. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of different ways to chop that pie up, right? So, um, you know, Um, uh, body, soul, spirit, for example, is another way to to do that. But, you know, the the common idea is there's something that's a part of you and less than you, not the whole you. And then there's the individual. And then there's something that's more than just the individual. That's -hmm. the way I like to explain it to people. And then you can put the labels as you like. So mind and soul are really interchangeable words. In fact, psychology, psyche means soul. It does not mean Mm -hmm. mind psyche translate to soul from greek i believe mm-hmm. if it's not greek it's latin but anyways wikipedia will tell you google yeah. too <laughs> um, and uh, and so yes so hypnosis is this different perspective on the whole subject um, a different viewpoint And one of the very different viewpoints we have is we don't necessarily, of course, different hypnotists have different backgrounds and different other things they know, right? So I'm a psychologist and a hypnotist and there's psychiatrists who are hypnotists and there's GPs and then there's, you know, people from totally outside the medical realm and nothing to do like engineers who are hypnotists as well or stage practitioners, actors, whatever it may be. Um, And and one of the most important perspective shifts for me was to not consider minds broken. Um, There is no such thing as a broken mind. Um, What you have is a mind that works perfectly to consistently give you the same results that you've been getting, the ones that you're either satisfied with or or dissatisfied with. Mm. And then the the, the issue becomes an issue of deprogramming programs that don't work for you and reprogramming or replacing with programming that is more likely to, you know, end up with the things that you want to, things that you're satisfied with. So, you know, a different language. It's a different way of describing the work, um, which, you know, in a more clinical sense would be specify the problem, intervene, remove the toxicity and replace with nutrients and medicine to make things work
0: better. Mm -hmm. I, I love the way that you actually go about describing it, because I think a lot of individuals who are perhaps being introduced to hypnotherapy or have a have these preconceptions about what hypnotherapy actually is and how it's stereotypically portrayed. So thank you for taking the time to actually walk us through a little bit about these changes in perspective.
1: If you'll allow me to, I want to comment on the way hypnotherapy is usually speaks to the same point I was saying. Unfortunately, one of the worst things about hypnotherapy is how it's usually portrayed, which is yeah. that it is in control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is some form of coercion, manipulation, something that is not original, does not come from you, from within. And it, it flies in the face of everything I was taught as a hypnotist and also as a psychologist, because if there's anything we're going to instate as a principle when we're doing this work, we, the collective, the psychotherapist, the other therapists, the non-therapists, and the people who care other people and try to talk to them uh, about it um, or help them through it, is agency there's the principle of Mm. agents and the idea is i don't want anything for you and my wants are irrelevant as the practitioner it's what you want and what you're willing to do most work we do as hypnosis or as therapists is the educational part and the education is all about agency
0: and so when it comes to later on in your journey with change works which for those who haven't heard about it, is an HR company that connects communities with hypnotists and wellness specialists to basically spread skill sets that can empower choice, agency, like Nasser was saying, and also happiness. Um, so how exactly do you carry out your mission at Changeworks? What is it that you do?
1: Right. So, so first of all, it's the connecting the people uh, to the other people who have the expertise and the will. Right. Um, So the coaches and the life coaches and the wellness coaches and the yoga practitioners and the Qigong practitioners and the Reiki practitioners. And, you know, we're pretty accepting anyone who uh, would like to do the work and is is serious about it, has something up their sleeve where we'll we'll give, you know, we'll we'll bring you to the. um, And um, so that's one 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 way in which um, change works operates, does. And then the other way is to bring the education through to the people. So we are on the trainings and the workshops and some of the workshops are simply introductory or they're just designed so that people kind of to raise awareness, raise capital, raise whatever it may be, but you know, they're not the education. Right. Um, uh, and then there's the um, certification courses and the ability to, um, learn from other professionals and specifically professionals who are in the business of change. And, you know, the business of change is, is is not necessarily the same as the work of change, but, you know, as somebody who's been through that process and somebody who knows a lot of people who've had to go through that process, um, having somebody advise you on the fact that this is a business um, can be very empowering. Um, yeah. And that's, probably the use of of the workshops. I mean, that's where you get your ethical training and your considerations and your do's and don'ts and how to's and how nots.
0: Mm. Um, and so when it comes to your interest in these, in these alternative types of wellness supports or these different types like Reiki, laughter yoga, art therapy, also hypnosis as well, how has your experience in these domains expanded your perception of what mental health means for you and your own relationship with your own mental health?
1: So, so the real comparison is not me and my own mental health, because that, that was a journey with its own lessons. Um, the real lesson was the discrepancy between the medical model, um, and the, the alternative model. Um, you know, first of all, the, the whole argument of whether we should call them alternatives or or, right. or just yes, something yes. Else. Um Each of these practices, and I don't, I can't believe I forgot to mention laughter yoga as part of our trainings. I also train and certify laughter <laughs> yoga um, in the company. And um, but each of these different practices has given me a different window into how to do my work as a psychotherapist, right, as, um, and as a coach uh, as well. It's, it's the many tools um, of, of the trade, let's mm-hmm. say, hypothetically speaking or theoretically speaking, because I really don't remember what I was before. right? But given my formal training, um, which yeah. was it began with um, considerations in public health. Um, And the interplay between politics, political decisions historically and public health outcomes. Um, And then further into emotions and then personality and and then psychopathology specifically, um, how things go wrong. There is the evolutionary sense and then there's the developmental sense. And then I got into the hospital and I started doing the work and practically speaking, there's the biological sense. Getting out of the medical world, learning hypnosis first, the first aha moment was, oh my God, I talked to this person who was suffering from phobias for X amount of years and the phobias did this and that and were legitimately phobias according to my psychological training. Right. And I talked them through a process and they woke up and on follow-up they came back and phobia gone, disappeared. Um, and for all I could tell for the rest of that follow-up as well done now the experience wasn't the same for every client but it was generally the trend sit down work on it it's gone and it remains gone for as long as we follow up
0: yeah
1: Uh, and I'm talking about phobia specifically and um, um, you know so so it was against I mean the, the drugs don't work like that. The surgeries yeah. don't. So, you know, none of the known interventions that may or may not work, work like that. Um, of course, these days we have like EMDR um, as a research um, um, technique that has its effects. We also have CBT in, in the academic literature, sort of, to support that there are things that work, but, you know, um, it shouldn't work like that. 20 minutes um, of thinking about a specific thing should not you yeah. a problem for 20 years. It, it doesn't make medical sense. Yeah. Um, and, and, and certainly the, the usual, um, The usual objection would be, yeah, well, it's just going to relapse at some stage. Just wait. Maybe you're not following up Mm. for long enough. Mm. Uh, And and the answer I've developed finally was, well, if they ever come back again, I'm happy to give them another 20 minutes of my time. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, um, you know, I wasn't comfortable with energy practices beforehand. um, Equivalent to not being comfortable with hypnosis, but with a little bit of my own culture's You know, kicking into it. It's like energy. What's that about? You know? Um, And um, my experiences have helped me bridge my understandings of noticing what works and detaching myself from the language that the practitioners themselves use. Because really, in the end of the day, first I want to figure out is it worth my time or not? And then if it is, I can give it the explanations that that work for me, uh, but laughter yoga just brought this whole new platform out, which is a social intervention that is not based on logic and understanding yeah. and process. It's a it's a bottom up process of 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 laughter, um, which is distinctly different from comedy, stand up comedy, watching mm. something, saying something funny. Um, where the top down process would be i somebody would have to say it or something would have to happen. I would have to absorb that, understand it, think that it is funny, right. and then
0: and the yeah um,
1: but laughter yoga has taught me that if you start with the body um then then the mind will catch on. And fake laughter can turn into real laughter. And the power of fake laughter is in the uh, social-ness of human beings, is is Mm. in the power of eye contact. If I make eye contact with you and I start laughing, it's very likely to make you laugh. And and Mm. if you think that's ridiculous, a smile will make you smile Mm -hmm. and a laugh will make you laugh. It goes back to mirror neurons and this whole evolution. Of empathy that we have. And it's all based in the secret that your body cannot differentiate between real laughter and fake laughter.
0: It's been so great hearing your insights, Nasser. So before you go, um, can you wrap up our conversation by telling us your top three mental health tips and how you keep your self-care in check?
1: Ooh, top three mental health tips. One, watch how you think. And in order to do that, you're going to need to watch what you think, but understand that thinking is a voluntary process. And that's the one that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that involuntary part, right? So once again, agency is prime. Um, And take the time to think properly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you said very quickly, so here's how I will summarize it. Think good, feel good, think bad, feel bad, and also think good, do good, think bad, do bad. So when you're thinking about doing your next exam or when you're thinking about studying for it or when you're thinking about cooking or when you're thinking about getting into a a business or whatnot, sure, it's smart to think of all the risks and go through that fantasy in your mind of losing everything and dying, et cetera. Um, but also remember that is a false chain of thought and the positive version is equivalently false and you should think of it in an equivalently ridiculous amount of positivity. So imagine it's working out and working out better than you could imagine with extra surprises, right? If you can die out of chlamydia and and depression just because you decided to eat an M&M's today, then that same M&M could also possibly give you everlasting happiness and three palaces in a mazar. (laughs)
0: okay
1: so um, watch what you think and take the time to think um, correctly positively and and really what it means is positively and that's because your negative automatic thoughts those are the involuntary ones they're ridiculous they're filled with bias and they have nothing to do with logic and they're not based on reality and neither should your positive thinking to face it right
0: oh i love that
1: um, second health tip is going to be laugh and laugh often
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and um, you know that's just some shameless advertising come and uh, learn <laughs> some laughter yoga from me and I'll think you have to do it about a minute of doing it every day will change your mood. It's, it's training a muscle, and that muscle is a muscle of self-esteem, self-efficacy, and the knowledge and confidence that I can flip how I'm feeling in under a minute by going through a laughter exercise, for mm. example. Okay? And then third, for your mental health, I'm going to say watch what you eat and um, um, the idea is there is a lot of science that's build, building up medical grade science and experimentation and experts in the field that are calling attention to the fact that food can cause and can be used in the healing and treatment of <clears throat> mental illness or perhaps a better way to do it to say it is if you get smart about what you eat, you could be engaging in your mental wellness. Mm-hmm. And, and there are definitely outlined ways to do that. The only thing you have to do is figure it out and know what works for you and doesn't work for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I love all of these three tips. And tell us where our audience can keep up with change works, can keep up with your thoughts or your reflections and, and your personal practice.
1: So both I and Changeworks have um, separate accounts, um, okay. Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts. For Changeworks, it's Changeworks AD or Changeworks Abu Dhabi, and mm-hmm. that's a dot com for it. And we should be easily findable on Google. I've spent a considerable amount of money making sure that <laughs> works. Um, As for my personal page, once again, you can Google my name, Nasr Al-Riyami, and you should have access to all my social profiles from YouTube to Facebook to Instagram. But on Instagram, where I'm most active, um, I'm known as the Nasman, T-H-E-N-A-S-M-A-N underscore. And the underscore was because I had to. Apparently, there's another one.
0: Yeah. Okay, perfect. So, Thank you so much, Anasser, for taking the time to join us today to share more about your journey, um, your perspective, to walk us through a little bit more about what hypnosis looks like, laughter yoga. There's so much inside this conversation, and I know our audience is going to get a lot out of it. So thank you.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Raisa. It's been fantastic.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Mind Tales Collective. If there were any questions that stood out to you, don't let these conversations stop here. Share your thoughts with your family and friends, or send over a quick message to us on Instagram to share your thoughts with us. And don't forget to hit the follow button. You can find us at MindTales Official. We know it's been a tough year. We want to remind you to check in on how you're feeling and ask for help if you need it. Remember, self-care is more than a band-aid. Your mental health is important. Stay tuned for more content next week. Take care and talk to you soon.